Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews, and this is our first episode of 2023. If you've already read the Chainalysis 2022 Global Crypto Adoption Index Report, you might have noticed that Nigeria has been rapidly climbing the charts when it comes to grassroots adoption of cryptocurrency. In this episode, I'm joined by the co-founders, Michael Adieri, who's the CEO, and Moyo Sudipo, the Chief Product Officer of Busha one of the fastest growing digital asset platforms in Africa. We go in depth about the challenges that Nigerians have in accessing currencies like the dollar and euro, and how crypto and specifically stablecoins enable an alternative international payment solution. The co-founders also explain the current crypto regulatory landscape in Nigeria, and explain why adoption in the country is far from just speculation, and how remittances and facilitating international business operations is a top priority for many Nigerians. For more on this topic and all things crypto, start planning your trip to New York for the Chainalysis Links Conference, which is happening April 4th and 5th, 2023. Get your ticket soon as space is filling up fast. You can find registration details in the show notes. Today I've got two guests joining me, the founders of Busha, crypto exchange operating out of Lagos, Nigeria, Michael Adieri and Moyo Sudipo, CEO and Chief Product Officer. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Good. Nice to be here. Nice to be on the podcast. I was taking a look at your backgrounds and it looks like you two have known each other for a long time, well before founding the exchange. You both came up, as many people in crypto it seems like did, as software developers and product execs. Michael, give us your story, how you first found crypto, got into the space before launching Busha. So I think I've been in software right from my early days in uni. That's why I remember you too. We've been we've known each other over a decade now. Dump software pretty much all my life. And I think in 2016, Bitcoin started to gain prominence in Nigeria. Not so much, but I mean, if you're into online forums and all that, you must have heard about Bitcoin here and there. So I did a little digging into it. And to be honest, I didn't, I didn't get into Bitcoin to solve a problem. For me, it was just I could buy it at this price and tomorrow it's a different price, you know. <laughs> So for me, it was a, a quick way to make money. But then to buy it then wasn't easy because, I mean, you have to reach out to my friends in the U.S. I need to buy Bitcoin and they were practically holding it for me. So I take, take money off my bank account, send it to them. They buy the Bitcoin and they store it because there's no platform in, in Nigeria to hold the Bitcoin. Fast forward a year later, I had to now work on an alternative payment solution. I was actively developing a software to do non-cash remittance. So if you were in the US, you wanted to send money back home, you don't necessarily don't need cash. You know, you could buy a gift card and send it to maybe your mom or whatever. So I had to think of what are the other ways to actually accept payment on this. And was also the period where you had people doing a lot of ICOs. I worked on a business, short remit. In between that period, I had to do a little more digging into what Bitcoin actually is. Instead of having to hold Bitcoin with somebody outside the country, you know, this is actually a real problem we can actually solve. So I told my friends, you know, what if we actually created a platform that allowed people to do this thing I was doing with somebody outside the country? I feel more safe holding my own Bitcoin than having somebody in the US holding my Bitcoin for me because imagine this person doesn't pick up my call the next day yeah so that was how busha started so i spoke to moyo and a couple of my other friends and we decided to start busha basically and like every other technical founder i practically wrote the first version of busha myself 
That's amazing. And Moyo, today, I think the platform's grown pretty dramatically. Maybe you could talk about some of the use cases, like where you're seeing growth for Busha. Starting out, our first iteration or our first app went live in February 2019 after close to a year of working on the product. And one thing for us in Busha is that from day one, we've always placed a lot of emphasis on, we've always been customer centric. So a lot of products that we push out to the public is usually based on customer feedback, based on the kind of use cases that we see, the kind of adoption that we see. And one thing that we've noticed over the years is that as time evolves, our customers evolve as well. So customers always want the platform that listens to them and that's what made us introduce products like Busha Spend for example. Busha Spend is something that came out of the necessity to make it easier for our customers to apply cryptocurrency to their everyday lives. So we have customers that are trying to make withdrawals because they're trying to pay for airtime or they're trying to make withdrawals because they're trying to subscribe for data on their mobile devices or in their homes. We have instances where a customer tells you I'm trying to make this withdrawal because I'm trying to pay for grocery at the store. These are some of the things that made us realize that there's no need for people to go from crypto to fiat to data or crypto to fiat to airtime when you can just go directly from crypto to airtime or crypto to check out at the grocery store if there's some sort of integration on the back end that we can do. So this is something that actually drives a lot of users to us, the fact that we listen to them Earlier in our journey, we were also one of the first platforms to introduce 24-7 human live chat. So customers are able to speak with an actual human at any time of the day, 24-7 365 days a year. So this is another thing that endeared a lot of customers to us. It's something that drove user growth and adoption within Busha because people realize that, okay, when I reach out to the support on a couple of other platforms, it's probably a bot that is responding to me or I have to send an email and then wait for a couple of hours to get a response. But when I send a message on Busha, I can actually see the name of the representative that is talking to me. In some cases, see their profile pictures. So you know that this is an actual human being that I'm talking to and that concierge service that vip service is something that a lot of nigerian customers like they like it when they have that feeling that someone is hand-holding them throughout the process. And this is something that we put into consideration in everything that we do. For example, if you open the application today, for you to buy or sell cryptocurrency, which is the native use case of the app before we started expanding to other use cases of cryptocurrency, you just need to make maybe five, six clicks from when you open the application up until when you complete your first purchase. So those little things, those little details are things that just make the experience better for the customer and increases adoption. That's amazing. We've come a long way from Michael's story about needing to send money to his friends in the U.S. in order to buy Bitcoin back in 2016. I'm curious, the integration with the banking system, like one of the friction points, I think, around the world when it comes to crypto is the fiat on-ramp, off-ramp. You know, what's your relationship with the banking system? Is it easy if I have a bank account to turn fiat currency into crypto or transfer it into the exchange? At the beginning, that was the selling point of Busha. You know, yeah. you could go from crypto to your bank, and you could go from your bank to crypto using debit cards. That was the selling point. And at the beginning, we had 
free access to banking tools. You know, we could work with banks and payment platforms. Fortunately, that was when payment platforms were on the rise too in Nigeria. You had Paystack and you had Flutterway. So it was very easy to just do that. But at the moment, it's totally different. Like, you know, the CBN has restricted all forms of interaction between crypto companies and the banks, which meant we had to innovate. People are not going to stop trading crypto because the central bank has said crypto companies shouldn't work with banks you know so we had to look for alternative we came up with something we now call busha connect it's a peer-to-peer platform that allows individuals to deposit and take money off busha without busha getting involved so we have agents you have like cash agents and you have customers who want to get money so you have cash agents take cash on, on your behalf outside the platform and you get credited on the platform if they want to if customers want to withdraw also the agent credit the customer customers and they take money off the customers on the platform. I mean, it was slow at the beginning, but people got used to it. And you have a lot of people copying the same system now. You have last week or two weeks ago, Binance in Nigeria launched something similar to Busha Connect. I mean, we've had that for over a year or two now. And I understand why the bank might be wary of interacting with crypto in terms of moving money legally, money laundry and all that. But one thing we've realized is even if you can do all this same thing with fiat itself, banks working together with crypto companies is still the way forward. We have a, a robust KYC solution, which is one of the reasons why we came to Chainalysis. We are always looking at how can we improve our KYC, our AML transparency yeah, tools. And we ended up at Chainalysis now. We are seeing way more result than we even anticipated. You know, So if there's a bad guy on the loose and banks are looking for this person, you know, it's easier to come to this crypto exchange. How can we locate this person that received money on this same address? You know, we have this person's full name, address, IDs and all that. So we already do all these things that we think can be used to track down any bad actor on the platform. I think that's the misunderstanding that so many people have about crypto is that it's untraceable and anonymous. But when we have exchanges like Busha, who's collecting the full know your customer information, yeah. and you've got tools like Chainalysis, so you can trace mm-hmm. flow of funds and source of funds and all the other mm-hmm. you know entities you're interacting with across the blockchain, it's actually probably the worst place to try and launder money. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we, we collect almost the same, if not more things that than what traditional banks. banks collect. Yeah, you have to do a video and raise a card and like, oh, I'm redrawing this is so amount on Busha. I mean, the <laughs> bank will even ask you to do that. <laughs> We'll help people learn that that lesson eventually, that crypto is not where you go to launder your money. We'll just keep catching yeah. the bad guys, I think. I'm really curious, you know, some of the examples of what people are doing with crypto, because we were talking before we started recording, like it's not just let's buy some of these assets because we think they're going to appreciate in value, the classic investment with some speculation. It sounds like the adoption is much broader than that. Can you talk a little bit about that, Michael? Yeah, so like I said, at the beginning, that was the whole idea. Like I said, I also go into Bitcoin. I wouldn't say I go into Bitcoin to save the world or save Africa. Or I go into Bitcoin because I could buy Bitcoin 10,000 today and tomorrow it's 20,000. So a lot of people go into Bitcoin 
Bitcoin or crypto like that in this part in Nigeria. Yeah. But like I said, along the line, and when you, you start to see the real use case of the peer-to-peer payment solution without a central party in play, there's nobody that is saying, oh, you can only transfer 10,000 Naira today. There's nobody saying you can't move 10,000 to Moyo today because we are closed and all that. And when you are in the environment where there's so many restrictions on fiat currency, you can't send dollar to Nigeria today to receive Naira. So if you're in a business where you have to pay your merchants abroad to get access to USD to pay them, you need almost a month or two before the government can provide you USD. When you live in an environment like that and crypto exists, then you start to see why this was invented in, in the first place. You know, So people have grown away from the speculative uh, use cases of crypto into remittance. And that was why at the beginning of this year, we actually doubled down on stablecoin a lot. And we've seen a lot of people adopt that. People now use that to pay their suppliers across the world. The stablecoin, that's a really interesting angle here. But I want to go back to what you said. One to two months for you to be able to get dollars from the government in order to pay an international supplier. Yeah, so I, I can shed more light on this. Um, in Nigeria, due to capital controls, due to crunching Forex on the government side, there are like multiple exchange rates. For example, right now, if you check on XE.com, which is the global website most people use to track exchange rates, you see a different exchange rate from the real rate that is on ground. So there's the different exchange rates for importers and exporters. There's a different exchange rate for those that are trying to access travel allowance directly from the central bank. There's a different exchange rate for those that are trying to purchase goods that recognized on the central bank's list of forex applicable goods and and these multiple exchange rates just creates a very very wide room for arbitrage some people are able to get the forex at the central bank's rate at 80 percent less than what you get it in the actual black market so because of that there's like a long queue for a lot of people that are trying to get this forex at a cheaper rate directly from the central bank so you probably have to be in that queue for a month two months three months in some cases before you're able to access it as cheap as that but if you want to pay like the real market value which is the parallel market rate for your forex then you can get it immediately almost instantly so it just depends on your use case and how long you are willing to wait and your financial might that's what actually determines how quickly you can get this so so imagine a trader that's trying to import raw materials waiting yeah. two months like that's not feasible so most people rather go with the fastest way possible and then reflect that price in eventual end price of the goods that will be sold to the customers it's kind of an amazing thing to think about, right? And and I think probably many of our listeners in the US or parts of Europe where relatively little currency controls have never experienced this. But if you think about most suppliers expect sort of net 30, maybe net 45 payment terms, if, if you've got a good relationship, just waiting two months in order to get currency, I mean, it kind of grinds that normal business process to a halt and puts a, I would assume, a huge amount of pressure on international import and challenges the ability to start up businesses. It's sort of an amazing case for why stable coins need to exist. That's why I still believe it has to be like a collaboration between government. A lot of people are still skeptical about stable coins. You know, we had like one or two issue of the pegging earlier this year. So, you know, but imagine it's time comes where stable coin exists. You can move money instantly. You don't even have to wait for intermediaries. You have less fees to deal with and also sort of regulated. So you're not afraid of holding it. When that time comes, there's even less worry about off-ramping because, you know, you have 
more people who don't have an issue holding this stable coin. One thing that's interesting is the Nigerian Central Bank has actually created their own digital currency, right? The E-Nera. What's your opinion on that? Is that something that I can deposit at Busha and convert into other cryptocurrencies? Or is it, no, Moyo's shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there's, at the moment, there's, there's, there's restrictions around crypto. Even if you uh, make a deposit to your bank and you include any crypto related word in it, they are going to block your account. <laughs> very, very funny. But there's not a lot of data has been released around this. It's very difficult to know who these users are. Mm. Uh, I mean, we would have gladly integrated it if it was available. And I mean, that would have been interesting. But majority of people who still use it are still the same set of people who go to the bank daily. I just see it as CBN trying to get into the retail banking space. It doesn't offer any real use case. I mean, we've not seen any advantage of it to us or any other crypto exchange in Nigeria. So do you need to be a Nigerian citizen in order to access the currency? Yeah, I'm sure I'll probably need a bank verification number, which yeah. every individual that holds any bank account, at least one bank account, has. And can I use it at retailers, like as an individual? If I if I was a Nigerian citizen, I assume there's like a particular wallet app that I need to get and I go to the bank and I convert traditional fiat into e-Nera. So the way it works, I think you go to the bank. I mean, you can log into your normal banking app, say, for example, Zenit Bank, right? And you can transfer money from your Zenit Bank to your e-Nera wallet. So if you need to pay a merchant or a store that also, you just ask for their in-era account number and you pay them. So like I said, it's not really different yeah. from moving money from my bank account to your bank account than moving money from my in-era wallet to your in-era wallet. It's still the same thing. And so it doesn't solve any of the international settlement problem. It doesn't no. address no. any remittances. It's just something maybe the government has a little more oversight over how people are spending it compared exactly. to cash, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So it sounds like right now the regulatory environment's kind of challenging. Like I, I think there's been reported at various points in time over the last few years, like an outright ban on open cryptocurrencies. What's your perspective right now? Like which direction is this is this heading? Is there political support for changing regulation towards crypto? Right now, we're gearing towards the elections in February. Naturally, most candidates that want to end there or want to woo the voters, everyone is trying to seem friendly towards tech. And no one has outrightly said they would ban or they would unban crypto, but everyone is just trying to play it safe at the moment, mm. trying to be political and make sure that they're in everyone's good books. So it's still really a gray area right now. In terms of the SEC, recently there is at least a framework that looks Looking to regulate cryptocurrency, but because um, we're in election season, most times also it's election season in Nigeria and most African countries. You know that most of these government officials are just going to put things on some sort of slow pace or a pause till after the elections because they need to know which direction the new regime is going to tilt towards. So the SEC is looking to regulate cryptocurrency. The CBN has not banned cryptocurrencies outrightly; they only just restricted access to banking for crypto-related individuals or crypto-related entities. So it's still a bit of a conundrum and it's still a gray area, but we're just 
constantly in talks with regulators like the SEC, talks with other law enforcement like the NFIU who monitor transactions in Nigeria, in talks with law enforcement like the EFCC. So we're just sort of self-regulated and that's why we have partners like Chinalysis as well so that whenever the SEC or any regulator is ready to come on board with cryptocurrency, we know that we've been properly prepared from day one, compliance-wise, AML-wise, and we can let them, we can also educate them and let them know that, look, even though we were not regulated, we regulated ourselves and we had these systems in place from day one. The same kind of KYC that you would use to open a bank account in Nigeria today, that's the same kind of KYC that you used to open a Busha account today. If a transaction is broadcasted on the blockchain no one can go there to modify it so if you ask me about the transaction from the year 2019 right now it's easy for me to go on the blockchain and show you that this is the amount that was transacted this is where it was sent from with more analysis with integrations that we have we can show you where this thing was sent from who it went to and any kind of information that you want about that transaction it's not for bad actors but actually it's a way to make financial transactions more visible to everyone that wants to know or is interested in lending. It sounds very similar to sort of where we are here in the in the US, where there's this political and regulatory uh, <laughs> back and forth, you know, it's kind of unclear who has the responsibility. Some people are very much in favor, others are very much against, but I'm been sort of looking toward Europe with the MICA regulation that was just passed. Seems like maybe that's the state of the art. We get clarity around stable coins. We get yeah. a consistent policy across the EU market so that we're mm-hmm. not having to see exchanges get licensed in each member country. I'm sort of hoping that other countries start to follow the lead of what the EU has done. I'm curious, does Busha operate outside of Nigeria or are you Nigeria only? At the moment, just Nigeria, but okay. it's supposed to launch in Kenya, I think, a few months ago, but it was also political season there, so we had to put that on hold. Okay. But at the beginning of the year, we planned to, to be in Kenya and uh, Ghana. Ghana, at least. That's exciting. I We recently published our adoption index, which looks at kind of grassroots usage. And I think just ahead of Nigeria in terms of adoption at the grassroots level was Kenya. So our analysis would support that's a great market for expansion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, even, though, even though the climate is similar, yeah. you have restrictions here and there. So the plan is to go there with Pusha Connect and see how it goes also. Yeah. I'm curious about NFTs. I didn't see anything on the Busha platform today about buying and selling NFTs. Is that on your roadmap anywhere? So at Busha, I think we we usually prioritize mainly what customers request for. Customers is like the hallmark of Busha. So we, we haven't seen a lot of them request nft features like that the use case in, in nigeria has actually drawn more towards what can i do with crypto today what can i do with crypto every other day yeah and i think that's the way we can actually grow adoption by showing people that there's more to digital assets than just speculation speculation you know especially now in the beer market i think the only thing nft wise that was requested on busha was just people wanted to have nft like profile pictures and that's just those caricatures and that was just the only thing but in terms of being able to buy or sell we didn't really have a lot of traction on that on that front and no one wants to build a product that nobody is really keen on using you want to build things that people are excited to use and will generate a lot of buzz so maybe way down the line we'll see how it goes (laughs) 
<laughs> well, gentlemen, I appreciate the time today. This is a fascinating exploration of what you're building. It sounds like a terrific platform. I'm wishing you all the best of luck and thanks again for your time. Thank you. It's nice to be here. <laughs> thanks for your time. Hey there, thanks for listening to another episode of Public Key. Check out Twitter, LinkedIn, and our newly launched TikTok and revamped YouTube pages, where we share our favorite moments captured in the podcast. Last year, we had some of our Public Key super fans from inside of Chainalysis provide some audio reviews of the podcast. Let's hear what our global intelligence operations analyst, MK Daly, has to say about the pod. Hi, all. I am MK Daly. I'm the Global Intelligence Operations Analyst at Chainalysis, and I am Public Key's biggest fan. I love listening to our host, Ian Andrews, talk me through the news of the crypto industry while I make my morning coffee.